Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, please open our minds and our hearts to hear from your word this morning. Lord, speak to us where we are. Give us that message that might challenge us, encourage us, convict us, change us to be more like Jesus. Lord, encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year. For your honor and glory in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. No, I'm not going to do my entire sermon in Morse code. <laughs> did you know that Samuel Morse did not set out to create a communication device that would go over long distances? That in fact, he wanted to be a painter. He had gone to the Royal Academy in London. He'd actually won a claim for his paintings. He was good. He wanted to be a painter. However, in 1832, while he was on board a ship, he got information about electricity, that it could travel over any length of wire instantaneously. And he began to wonder, could this be used to communicate over long distances? And so he went home and he learned about electricity. He got a partner named Alfred Vail, and they created a device that would send a message over a wire, over long distances. And the first one, the message was, a patient waiter is not a loser. That was his first message. Two miles, it went over. But it was two miles, over wire. Somebody was here and somebody was over there, two miles away, and they were able to decipher that message. Now, today, we don't think much about long-distance communication. I mean, we can have a conversation with somebody on the other side of the world. In fact, we can do it and see each other. I mean, we didn't even think about it. At the same time, our communication still isn't perfect. Raise your hand if you've ever had a dropped call. Or you've ever been in a place where you're outside of your service range, and you're like trying to get service, but it's just not coming. I mean, we still have communication problems over long distance, even though we're pretty good at it. This morning, I want to talk about communication over distances. In particular, how does God communicate from heaven to earth, from divine to finite? That's a distance. I mean, you can go all the way around the world. It still is not the distance between heaven and earth between divine and finite. How did God communicate? And what did he want to say? If there is a primary message that God had, what is it? Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 1. How does God communicate? I think Hebrews chapter 1 gives it in the most succinct way. 
covers a lot of ground, and it tells us, what is God's Morse code? Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. All right, so back then, the way that God bridged the gap between heaven and earth, between divine and finite, is he spoke to the prophets so that the prophets would then give God's word to people. That was his method of communication. God's words by his spirit going to people called prophets who would then give those words to others. But something happened. Verse 2, but in these last days, and we're still in them, he has spoken to us by his son. There's been a change of communication from giving words to people that they might give those words to others to communicating by his son. Now, this communication method is much more robust. It's much fuller. It communicates in ways that could not have communicated before. Notice it's not through his son, but by his son. And here is why. In Jesus, God was not just communicating his words as he was with the prophets. He was communicating his person and his character through the person of Jesus. You see, Jesus did say the words of God, but he also did the actions of God. He had the values of God. He made the decisions of God. In Jesus, you have a communication tool that is far more than words. There's a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in John 14, where Philip says, just show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Not heard, seen. And what he means is his actions, as he said in John 5, I only do what I see the Father doing. It's everything about Jesus. When you see Jesus, you're seeing the Father. And you have to look beyond even his words, the way he relates to people, the decisions that he makes, the things he decides to do. All of that is reflecting who God the Father is. That's how Jesus communicates who God is. He's not just a representative who has words and authority. Hey, he's a child. Parents, how many times have you seen your child do something that you do? They're not just saying words. They are communicating something about you. I saw a good one yesterday. My child loves to play with Legos, and he's playing with Legos, but every time the bad guys come, the good guys just obliterate them with no fight whatsoever. Like, you could have an entire armada of bad guys, and the good guy comes over with his little Lego foot, and he kicks them, and boom, they're gone. And then my son gets bored. Like, buddy, there's a reason you're bored. Like, have you ever, you know, the movies that we watch, like the, the animated shows and things? What happens? The bad guys look like they're going to win for a while. That's what raises that level of tension. That's why it's fun. Like, then the good guys have to overcome. Well, yesterday morning, he's playing Legos with his younger brother, and Aaron and I are sitting on the couch. We're just kind of watching him. 
And he starts going, now buddy, you gotta make sure that the bad guys are winning for a while. <laughs> I mean, he's just saying my words. Hey, Jesus said and did what the Father is. That's what he communicated. So Jesus is that communication mode for God. That has how we bridged heaven to earth, divine to finite. But what did he want to say? What was the Morse code saying? Now, some of you are military trained. Maybe you caught some of what was going on with my phone. That is an actual message in Morse code. But most of you, if not everybody, was probably going, I have no idea what that is other than some beeps. What is it that God wanted to say through Jesus? What was the primary message? Is there a primary message? I mean, he said a lot of things, right? Look at your Bible. He said a lot of things. He wanted to tell us a lot of things. But is there a primary message that God wanted to convey through Christ that we need to get? Hey, I want to teach my kids how to ride a bike. I really do. But I want to teach them how to swim more. I mean, you could fall off a bike and get hurt. You fall into a pool and you can't swim, you can drown. It's a more important lesson. It's not that I don't want them to ride a bike, I do. But there's more important things. Is there a more important lesson? Is there a more important message that God wanted his people to know? I want to say yes. Turn to John chapter 3. I think there is a message that outweighs every other message that God wanted to give. John chapter 3. And most of you won't need to look at this in your Bible. You're going to know this passage, this verse. In verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice what triggers it. We receive the son... We receive the opportunity for eternal life because God so loved the world that in Christ, in the giving of Christ, Paul says it this way in Romans 5, God demonstrated his love for us. You understand that in giving Christ, God primarily wanted to convey he loves you. The rest of it was part of it. The reason you are saved is because he loved you. The re in fact, he loved you so much that it was worth giving his son. That primarily he wanted to convey his love for us. All right. When I hear that message, I think, please tell me you have more than that. Because I have heard that message I don't know how many times. I mean, that, how basic to Christianity. God loves you. Well, of course. Here is my problem with that message. I don't take that message as seriously as God does. In fact, I think I was trying to kind of look at my life and go, where is it that God's love fits in, kind of in my thought process, in my Christian life? Like, how important is it really? Here's a parallel. Driving. I've been driving for almost three decades. I'm a good driver. 
Not the best, not the worst, I'm a good driver. But I don't think about driving. Like, I just get in and drive. It's just there. It's always a part of it. Although there are times I think about driving, I'll give you an example, when I almost get in a wreck, all of a sudden I start thinking about my driving. If I get a ticket, for a while at least, I think about my driving. When I'm teaching somebody how to drive, I think a lot about my driving when I'm talking about it, and it got me thinking, oh my goodness, in like four years, I've taught my daughter how to drive. I almost had a heart attack when I thought about that. But I, God's love is a little bit like that for me. It's kind of in the background. I don't think much about it. I kind of got it. I don't really try to improve on it until something bad happens. Then I may start thinking about it. Or, like today, I'm preaching a message on God's love. I thought a lot about God's love this week. But if his primary message is that he loves us, that he wants us to know that, that should be more primary for me. And if you think to yourself, I'm overdoing this, like it's not, it can't be that big. I want you to think about this. Only three times in the Gospels does the Father speak. Three times. One time is in the Gospel of John, and he is responding to something that Jesus says. The other two times, the Father initiates. The Father just says what he wants to say. Nobody's asking for something. And in both cases, he says the same thing. Do you know the only two times that God initiates conversation in the Gospels, he says the same thing? You'd think as a divine, all-knowledgeable person, he'd have more to say. But he says the same thing twice. You wonder if that's important. And on top of that, when he says it, there are two critical moments that he says it. Hey, he says it the first time, you heard the reading in the Gospel. He says it the first time at the very, very beginning of Jesus embarking on his mission. If your child were getting ready to do something that they had been ready their entire life they're preparing for, like this was their mission in life, and you got to say one thing to them before they did it, how important would that one thing be? I mean, I probably wouldn't even know what to say because I'd be fretting over the, how important this is and like all the things I wanna say. And, but he says one thing to him at the beginning of his ministry. And then, as you get to toward the end of his ministry, as Jesus begins to say to his disciples, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna die. Okay, everything's turning, he's going to the end, the hardest thing he's ever gonna experience is getting ready to happen, guess what? The father comes in and says it again. At that moment, that critical moment, what is that thing that he says? Jesus is my beloved son. It's not just that he gave his son that we might know his love, that it was even the, apparently, the most important thing for the son to hear. You are my beloved son. Right? And here's another item of evidence for you that it's that important. And this is gonna sound very strange because I'm gonna use the devil as my line of evidence. I think that's a terrible place to start Anytime you use the devil, it's probably not a good thing to argue for God's love. And yet, here's the train of events. He gets commissioned by that voice in heaven, you are my beloved son, 
He goes into the desert for his fasting, and then the first thing that happens are the temptations. Do you know what the first temptation is? The devil starts it this way. Whatever you think of the devil, he's been around a very, 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 very long time. He knows human nature. He knows how to strike. Here's what he says. If you are truly that powerful, then turn these bread into stones. No, if you know the passage, that's not what he says. It's not about how powerful he is. If you are really as smart as you say you are, turn these bread into stones. Again, not what he says. Now, here's the sad thing. I think he would have said something different to me than what he says to Jesus. I think he would have said something like this to me. If you're really a good pastor you would do this. If you are really a good friend, you would do this. Because what the devil is doing when he comes to the Son of God and he says, remember the voice just said, you're my beloved son, here comes the devil. If you are really the Son of God, if you are really loved by the Father, he is attacking the identity of the Son of God. He is striking at the most vulnerable spot. But see, power was not an issue for the Son of God because he didn't define himself by his power. Do you remember when he was in his hometown and he couldn't perform a miracle? I mean, that's a weird scene. Jesus goes in and he can't do a miracle. Like, he fails at power. And yet, he doesn't get bitter by it. He doesn't get all upset. He doesn't run away. He doesn't start questioning because he's not defined by that. Again, myself, when I fail as a pastor, I start really struggling. When I fail as a parent, and I struggle in bad ways, not in positive ways, because I'm so in, my, my identity is so entangled in those things. It was not for Jesus. Jesus' identity was in that love. And because of that, he could do all of the amazing things that he did in his ministry. He did not have to get derailed when people turned against him. He did not have to get derailed when things didn't go the way they should have gone. Because he was still the beloved child of God, no matter what happened. I am the beloved child of God. You see, that message was not just for us it was for Jesus, because it is that core, it is that foundational for us to understand who we are, how we are to live the Christian life. Because without it, I guarantee you this, you are defining yourself in some way. Whether it's your vocation, your status, your money or lack of money, your parentage, your background, in some way you're defining yourself. In some way your identity is wrapped up. None of those things can stand. They're all gonna fail you at some point. There is one thing that will never fail you. You are the beloved child of God. And if that is your identity, there is a strength to get through anything, even as Jesus does. Right? Think about this. Do you know there's a couple of times in the Gospels where Jesus talks to the Father 
but apparently the father says nothing back. I mean, have you ever talked to God and heard nothing back? Jesus did too, even as the son. And there were some pretty radical moments. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it is so bad that the mission that he has had his entire life that was set in place for the foundations of the world, he is coming to the Father saying, is there another way? Now how bad does it have to be for the Son of God to be at that point? And you hear nothing back. I'm gonna conjecture for a moment. I think the Son heard something back. Not necessarily audibly, not even necessarily God saying it at that moment, but I think he heard the same message that he heard at the beginning of his ministry, that he heard in the middle as he was moving towards this point, you're a beloved child of mine. And that's all he needed. And he could then say, nevertheless, your will be done. On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No response. The father does not say, don't worry, everything's gonna be okay. But I do think Jesus knew, and in his mind he heard, you're a beloved child of mine. Even in this moment, even where you're feeling forsaken, you're a beloved child of mine that does not change ever. And so Jesus could remain right where he was and go through with all of his mission because that message never changes. But it can change us. So since being a dad, I have fallen in love with many children's books. I love Nuffle Bunny. Anybody read Nuffle Bunny? Nuffle Bunny's awesome. If you haven't read it, even if you're an adult, you should go get it. It's awesome. Um, I love Duck Soup. It's not nearly as popular as Nuffle Bunny, but it's really good. Oh, uh, Gerald and Piggy. How many parents have read the Gerald and Piggy books? They're hilarious. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, younger parents are all raising their hands. If you haven't, again, go get a Gerald and Piggy book. They're awesome. You can just read them as adults. Like, there are just a number of really good children's books that are fun, that have good messages in them. We love reading them. But as many of you know, because I shared this about three years ago, um, I still have a favorite, The Velveteen Rabbit. It is still my favorite book. And here's why. It's this scene right here. The rabbit has looked around at everybody and like they're all putting on airs like they're special and he feels, you know, like he's not and, and he says, what is real? And it's all in capital letters. What is real, asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room and he's talking to the rocking horse. Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you and a stick out handle? How many times are we defining ourselves by the wrong things? How many times are we looking at a job or at relationship or at, at, a, at money or at status? Or I mean, there's so many things. And like we want this or this or this, and that is how we're seeing ourselves. The rabbit's asking that question. The horse says, real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really, it's all in capital letters, loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? The rabbit asked. Sometimes, said the horse. 
for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. How is it that Jesus could go through everything he went through in his ministry and yet never turn back? Never alter his plan. Because all of the pain and the criticism and the rejection, all of the people that turned against him, even his own disciples, could not change the love the Father had for him. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a while. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be kept carefully. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off. Your eyes drop out. You get loose in the joints and very shabby. Can I just tell you, being faithful to God is not easy. Doing the right thing, making the right decisions, loving people well, it's hard. It hurts. It wears you out. But when you are loved by God and that's your identity, those things don't matter as much. You can go through them. I love this. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Once you embrace the love that God has for you, you are real, you are identified in a way that you cannot be any other way. And there is a strength and a confidence there that you cannot find anywhere else because all other things will fail. His love will not. Well, Samuel Morris wanted to be a painter, there was something that drove him to want to develop communication. In 1825, he was painting, and he received a letter telling him that his wife was sick. By the time he was able to get to her, she had already died. And from that point on, he wanted to find a way to communicate faster because that message needed to get there. He needed to hear that message. God wants us to hear this message and we need it. We absolutely need it. If the Son of God needed it, how much more so do we need it? And you know what? He finally did come up with that device that not just two miles, but from Baltimore to DC, 38 miles, sent a message. The message was, look what God has wrought. That was the first message. What God has wrought is his son on our behalf. Salvation, forgiveness, purpose, hope but even more, an identity. That Morse code that I first played, this is what it said. You are a beloved child of God. Because that message, he wants you to hear. You are a beloved child of God. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for your word, especially your son, that you would send him to show your great love for us, that in him we would see how important it is that our identity is the beloved child of God. Lord, help us day by day to embrace that, to let it replace those things that we're identifying ourselves by that are not your love, that we might have the strength, the confidence, and the faith to live what you've called us to. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen.